Have you ever experienced delays, changes of plans, or redirections in your everyday life? Have you ever felt that God is leading you somewhere you weren't planning to go, and you end up meeting someone you weren't planning to meet? Have you ever had a coincidence that was so special that it seemed as if God had to be involved in it? Psalm 37, 23 declares that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God orders, arranges, and establishes the details of the lives of those who are following and are surrendered to him. God is sovereign, he's all-knowing, and all-powerful, and if we're willing to let the Holy Spirit lead us, God can and will use us to do miraculous things in the lives of the people that he brings us in contact with. God will give us encounters with other people that he has specifically and unmistakably arranged. The Holy Spirit sets up these encounters because someone needs what he can offer them through you. You may be one conversation away from God doing something awesome in your life or in the life of the person that he brought you to. Our prayers for God's will to be done in our lives opens up divine appointments and the conversations that can come from them. Our words and actions are powerful no matter how seemingly small or insignificant. God can lead his followers to cross another person's path, resulting in amazing things if they are willing to submit to the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, throughout the Bible, we find many examples of divine appointments. I just have a couple this morning here. In John 4, Jesus has a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman at the village well, and her life was changed along with those in her village. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah has a divine appointment with the widow of Zarephath, who had nothing so that God could provide for her and her family supernaturally as a result of her faith. In Acts 16, Paul was directed by God to go to Macedonia, where he ended up in jail. There he had a divine appointment to bring salvation to a jailer and his family. In Acts 8, Philip had a divine appointment with an Ethiopian eunuch, where he was able to open up the scriptures to him. And the Ethiopian eunuch believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God and was baptized. This morning we're going to be looking at Genesis 29, verses 1 through 14a, where we find Jacob again on his journey to find the family of his mother's brother Laban. He was instructed by his father to go there and take a wife who would be the next mother of the covenant people. Last week, Pastor Stewart showed us Jacob's encounter with God at Bethel. There, God promised to always be with Jacob. Jacob vowed that the Lord would be his God. Jacob had finally surrendered to God, and God was going to arrange and establish his steps to a divine appointment in Haran. There, he would meet his mother's brother, Laban, Laban's daughter, Rachel, and other members of his extended family. If we are continually seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and letting him determine where we are best suited to serve him, we will providentially be given divine appointments where God's will can be done on this earth. Imagine walking in the spirit as God gives us divine appointments, using us to help those in, in need physically, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. And that brings us to our big idea this morning, which is 
for Christ followers, there are no coincidences, only divine appointments. Before we begin our study of this divine appointment, let's dedicate our time to the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, open our hearts and minds to what you want us to hear, learn, and share this morning. I thank you that your only son, who was crucified, dead, and buried, was risen again on the third day. May we never forget his sacrifice and love for us as we strive to love one another in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. We have two points to the passage this morning. The first is providence, and we find that in Genesis 24, verses 1 to 8. You follow along as I read those. This is what God's word says. Then Jacob set out on his journey. He went to the land of the people of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it, because they watered the flocks from that well. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. Then they would put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. So he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot, until all the flocks are gathered, and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. First thing we notice is the word then. Then refers to the events that were recorded at the end of chapter 28. Again, if you remember last week, Pastor Stewart told us about Jacob who had a dream of a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching into the heavens. There were angels ascending and descending, and the Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac, spoke to Jacob there. He made the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob, promising to him and his descendants the land that he was lying on, that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth, and that all people would be blessed through him and his offspring. The Lord also promised to be with Jacob, to watch over him wherever he went, to bring him back to the promised land, that he would not leave Jacob until all that he had promised had been done. Jacob took that stone that was under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he worshiped God, vowing that the Lord would be his God. So it's from this encounter that encounter with the Lord that Jacob set out on his journey. The literal translation of set out is picked up his feet, meaning that Jacob now had a spring to his step. The experience with the Lord at Bethel had renewed Jacob's faith to continue the long journey, and the promises of God had, had encouraged him after essentially being exiled from his home. The hand of God was directing Jacob. Now we're told that he came to the land of the, of the eastern peoples. Normally Genesis is more specific with its um, directions. If you remember, Abraham's servant was sent to specifically Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. The lack of specificity might imply that Jacob didn't know exactly where he was going. He was going to a distant, alien, and foreign land to find his mother's brother's 
family. Golden Gate says it would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Jacob was going to have to rely on God to direct him to exactly the right place at the right time and to the right person. For him to be able to locate his mother's brother Laban and take a wife for one of his daughters. Also in Genesis, going east is meant going away from the presence of God. It meant judgment in Genesis 3.23 when Adam and Eve were sent out east from the Garden of Eden. And in Genesis 4.16, as Cain left the presence of the Lord and settled farther east from Eden. Going east is also meant vanity. As Lot chose the outward, well-watered appearance of Sodom and journeyed eastward to eventually dwell there. Abraham sent his servant back east to his homeland to find Isaac a wife, but Isaac was not allowed to go back there. And now we see Jacob has been sent to the eastern peoples to find a wife. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that this journey will be filled with many heartaches. It will not be until Jacob journeys west back to the promised land that he will have peace. Next, we notice Jacob comes to a well in a field. Wells have been a theme so far in the lives of the patriarchs, as they have been signs of God's blessing. We've seen Abraham digging wells and prospering in the future promised land. We've seen Isaac, who digs wells and finds water every time he dug a well. Abraham's servant is led by God to a well, where he found a wife for Isaac. And now Jacob will meet his future wife and the next mother of the covenant line in this divine appointment at the well. Wells again become a place where Yahweh will provide. The phrase in the field reminds us where Isaac and Rebekah first met each other. Next we notice the word behold in verse 2. He looked and saw a well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. We're reminded of the same word in chapter 28 verse 12. And he had a dream and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. And then chapter 28, verse 13, then behold, the Lord was standing above it. The threefold use of behold indicates Jacob's success in finding the right place. The promises given to him at Bethel will begin to find fulfillment in this divine appointment at the well. Jacob sees three flocks of sheep lying near the well. And there's also a large stone covering the mouth of the well. And the narrator proceeds to explain the practice of the watering of the sheep here. When all the flocks have gathered at the well, the shepherd would roll the stone away from the well's mouth, water all the flocks of sheep, and then put the stone back in place. The repetition of the size of the stone and the need for all the flocks to be there before removing it signifies that the stone was too large for one shepherd to move it by themselves. It will later reinforce Jacob's strength that was given him to God in order to move it. The use of the large stone in this practice was probably for at least three reasons. One, it would keep the well from being contaminated. Two, it would ensure that the well could not be filled in by by their enemies. And three, only those who were supposed to use the well could. And all this would remind us that water in the desert was a valuable commodity. So this was the scene when Jacob arrived at the well. And then he engages the shepherds there in conversation about where they're from. 
he finds out that they are from Haran, which is probably the closest city to the well. He then asks if they knew Laban, the grandson of Nahor, and they replied that they did. Jacob inquired about Laban's well-being, and the shepherds said that Laban was well. Then they announced that his daughter Rachel was approaching the well at this very moment with Laban's sheep. This was a fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob in chapter 28, 15, when he said, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. Now, we aren't told if Jacob thanked, praised, and worshiped the Lord for his providential leading to the right place at the right time and to the right person. And because we aren't told, we can believe that he didn't do it. He didn't praise the Lord. And the narrator wants us to contrast Jacob with Abraham's servant, who did. The Lord will order, arrange, and establish divine appointments for those who are following and surrendered to him. But it's important to thank, praise, and worship the Lord when we recognize his providential hand working in our lives. That brings us to the first next step on the back of your communication card, which is this. To thank, praise, and worship the Lord when I recognize his providential hand at work in my life. Instead of worshiping the Lord for his providence, Jacob proceeds to arrogantly question what the shepherds are doing just sitting around. He seems to insult them by telling them how to do their job. We can imagine how they felt to have an outsider command them to get their sheep water and get out the pasture. But Jacob's rationale was this. It's still high day meaning that it was around noon, and it wasn't yet time for the sheet to be gathered. The sheet would have usually been gathered at the end of the day in order to lead them back home. We aren't told why Jacob tried to insist the shepherds to get the well open, water their sheep, and get back to the pasture. Maybe he wanted them to leave before Rachel showed up so he could meet her alone. Maybe he thought it would impress her to have the well open when she arrived. She would be able to water her sheet right away, and then he could take credit for it. We still see some of Jacob's old character coming through. But even though he is told about the way things work, he doesn't hesitate to disregard it. And then the shepherds repeat what the narrator told us in verse 3. That they were not allowed to move the stone and water the sheep until all the flocks were gathered. The repetition tells us that this practice or custom was important. It was probably something like a covenant or a contract between the shepherds. This would ensure that the well wasn't contaminated or sabotaged and that the proper shepherds were using it. Walton says these type of contracts were necessary where water is scarce and distrust is often warranted. Our second point this morning is performance. And this is found in verses 9 to 14. This is what God's word says. While he was speaking, still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his mother's brother Laban, and the sheep of his mother's brother Laban, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of his mother's brother Laban. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and raised his voice and wept. 
Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. So when Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, you certainly are my bone and my flesh. <laughs> Jacob's still speaking with the shepherds when Rachel arrives at the well. And we're told that Rachel is a shepherdess. And the sheep are her father's Laban, father Laban's. The narrator wants us to know that Rachel was performing a real job with real responsibility. And that she would be a capable patriarch's wife just as Rebecca was. Since the shepherds refused to move the refused to move the stone, Jacob takes things in his own hands and single-handedly moves the stone from the mouth of the well. And then he waters his uncle's sheep. <clears throat> Gagel and Bramer say this, Jacob says nothing, he just simply performs. And Matthew says, the servant, Abraham's servant, worshiped the Lord when he discovered Rebecca's identity, Jacob flexed his muscles, proving his capacity to serve Laban's house. The narrator is contrasting Jacob's energy with the shepherd's laid-back or lazy approach. The threefold repetition of mother's brother Laban in verse 10 implies that Jacob is not really trying to impress Rachel for her own sake, but trying to impress her to get to her father Laban. Jacob had been told to go to the house of his mother's father, Bethuel, and find a wife from the daughters of Laban. He knew that the first order of business was to get to Laban, and his way to Laban ended up being to impress one of his daughters. At every turn, God had ordered and directed Jacob's path. He was led to a well outside of Haran, where they knew Laban, and he came face to face with his daughter. This was a divine appointment orchestrated by God for his chosen man to find a wife who would continue the covenant promises for his chosen and covenant people. We may not expect what happens next. Jacob kissed Rachel and then raised his voice and wept. Now, usually men would kiss another, a man would kiss another man as a greeting but it would not have been normal for a man to kiss a woman like this. This was probably not a romantic kiss because Jacob was more intent on getting to Laban at this point in the narrative. But why did Jacob weep? Maybe he didn't forget that it was God who had providentially guided him to exactly the right place at exactly the right time and to exactly the right person. He was probably overwhelmed with emotion as he thought about the providence and promises of God. You know, God had kept his promises to him, to be with him, to watch over him, as he journeyed from Canaan to Haran. Then Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. And just like Rebekah did, Rachel ran to tell her father. That Rachel's response was the same as Rebekah's indicates that she was to be the next mother in the, in the covenant line. As soon as Laban heard about Jacob, he ran to meet him. He embraced him, he kissed him, and he brought him into his home. Laban was even more demonstrative than Jacob was. 
But the first hearers may have been reminded of Jacob kissing his father in bad faith and thinking about the things that would transpire between Laban and Jacob in the not-so-distant future. We aren't told what Laban was thinking when he heard about Jacob's arrival. He may have been thinking back 100 years when Abraham's servant showed up looking for a wife for Isaac. Abraham's servant had brought gold and silver and gold and silver jewelry, clothing, costly gifts for his sister and the family. Wearsby says this, Abraham sent a caravan with his servant to find Isaac a wife. Isaac sent Jacob to find a wife with nothing. We aren't told if Laban was disappointed when he met Jacob, when he noticed that he had no entourage and no gifts with him, but true to form, he extended his hospitality, and he brought him into his home. At Laban's home, Jacob told him all these things. Now, we're not told what Jacob recounted to Laban. Maybe like Abraham's servant, Jacob told him what happened at the well. The servant told Laban about how God sent him to the right place at the right time and to the right person. Abraham's servant gave God the glory and worshiped as he told Laban the whole story. Again, it is telling that the narrator doesn't mention Jacob giving God glory for this divine appointment. Jacob probably told Laban why he was there, which was to marry one of his daughters, and what his plans were for his future, which was to take said daughter and return to Canaan. We could also surmise that Jacob told Laban about single-handedly removing the stone from the mouth of the well. He probably thought this would ingratiate himself with Laban, convincing him to let him stay a while in his home and work for him. Laban may have been thinking he had a prospect of a strong and healthy worker, which could possibly make up for the lack of a bride price. And as we'll see in the next few weeks, this is exactly what took place. Laban then proclaimed that Jacob was my bone and my flesh. In the ancient Near East, the ties of family were very strong. And if you were visiting relatives, you were given every hospitality in their home even if you had never met him. And the phrase, my bone and my flesh, reminds us of what Adam joyously said when God brought Eve to him. In Genesis 2, 23a, it says this, at last this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Jacob had found the family through the providence of God in which he could take a fitting bride for himself. This phrase also implies a reciprocal commitment or oath was made between Laban and Jacob. Laban had instituted a bond of sorts between nephew and uncle. And we'll see later in the narrative that this phrase will prove that Jacob and Laban were cut from the same cloth. <clears throat> I heard a story a couple weeks ago from a youth pastor friend of mine talking to me about his son. So I'm going to call him Jesse. It's not his real name, but I'm going to call him Jesse. Jesse's going to be a global worker to Muslims, and he's discerning which country to go to. He follows some Christian leaders on Instagram, and for one of those threads, he received an Instagram direct message that was hidden because it was from someone that he was not followers with. 
the message was from a Muslim man in West Africa. And he asked him if he was a Christian. And if so, could he tell him how to become a Christian? It seems that he had sent the same message to a bunch of people. And Jesse was the first one to respond. So Jesse shared the gospel with this man through Instagram. And the man accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That was a divine appointment sent from God to Jesse. He was prepared. He was obedient. And he immediately took the opportunity to act on that divine appointment. But I want to go just a little bit farther with this story. This man is the only believer in his village. He had previously told his father he wanted to become a Christian, and his father beat him. And all his friends left him. This man told some orphans in his village about Jesus, and they also accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The Muslim man has been, continued to talk to my youth pastor's friend's son, Jesse, and now he wants to know how to get baptized. This divine appointment is ongoing and far-reaching. There are three specific things we could do to capture the divine appointments that God's ha God has for us. One, pray. How do we as Christians allow the Holy Spirit to make such appointments for us? The answer is prayer. Every morning when we get up, we should be praying that the Holy Spirit leads us to a divine appointment or appointments that day. Two, we need to be prepared for divine appointments. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. If we start looking for divine appointments, we will find them. By making ourselves available to God, we will see things happen that we would have never expected. He will give us eyes to see, ears to hear, the who, what, when, and where of our divine appointments. And three, we must be ready to act on the opportunity of a divine appointment, just like my youth pastor friend's son did. Divine appointments happen in the regular course of our lives, so we need to be prepared to act at all times. Divine appointments are about how much God cares for, about his people. God will order, arrange, and establish the details of your life if you are truly following and surrendered to him. I encourage you to look for those opportunities and moments in your everyday life when God is wanting to use you as a divinely appointed son or daughter to be a source of hope, comfort and love to those he, br he brings you in contact with. And that brings us to our second next step, which is to daily pray for, prepare for, and be ready to act on divine appointments that God places in front of me. As the praise team comes forward to lead us in a final song, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would leave this place today watching for your providential hand working in our lives. When we recognize it, I pray that we would thank, praise, and worship you for it. I also pray that each one of us would pray for, prepare for, and be ready to act on the divine appointments that you lead us to in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen.